Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Our guest on today's podcast is Jeff Wall. Jeff is a fire lieutenant, union president, and also works in the emergency department of a busy hospital. Jeff, we're very happy to have you on the podcast today. We're looking forward to learning more about you, your career in first response, and we're excited to hear some of your experience-based opinions on mental health and first response. So, Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Please take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners. Well, thank you, Jay. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here with you. It's an honor to be here with you and Linda. Uh, it's, it's unique what you are trying to do here and what you've already accomplished. And just to be a part of that is, is definitely um, proactive in what we try to do for first responders. A little bit about myself, uh, Jeff Wall, uh, born in Framingham. Uh, family's originally from Dorchester, moved back to Dorchester, Fields Corner. Oh, uh, wow. Yep, 329 Adams at Gibson. <laughs> so uh, that, that brings me back. And then we moved out to the South Shore. We wanted to, to migrate, and we made it to Weymouth in 1974. Uh, at the time, it was just uh, my mother and I. I had lost my father in an explosion um, in a gas station that he was working in as a, as a mechanic. And I was only... Uh, just over one and a half years old, so I never get to really know him, mm-hmm. and uh, I say they say that I'm a spitting image of him uh, to this day. But uh, it was it was unique growing up in a one parent family with my mother Nancy, uh, right on River Street in North Weymouth. Mm-hmm. Spent uh, my childhood down there and visiting uh, relatives in Quincy, the beach, and everything. Fast forward. Uh, Went to Weymouth Public Schools, then went to Sacred Heart in the Landing, which is closed now for the high school, uh, which is a shame. We actually use it for training these days, mm-hmm. which is unique. So I get to tell the guys some stories about my high school days <laughs> at Sacred Heart High School, which was, uh, it, which was a fun time. Uh, and then went to Bentley. Went to Bentley College and uh, accounting. Got an accounting degree. Wow. And... Uh, after that, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit later, how I ended up becoming a fire lieutenant, a firefighter and a fire lieutenant, and uh, putting my whole life uh, in, into helping others. So um, I have a beautiful wife, Patty. Uh, my daughter, Mandy, she'll be 22 this year. She'll be a senior at Regis College, and uh, we're looking forward to that. She was uh, a 2020 kid, so she didn't have a lot of the opportunities that seniors in high school had in 2020 due to COVID and the pandemic. Mm. So we're really looking forward to the last year in college and really celebrate yeah. this, this next spring coming up in 2024. Mm. So we're looking for that. We currently live in South Weymouth, uh, neighbor of co-host Jay. Yes, sir. And uh, lived up there for the last couple of years. So And uh, currently a lieutenant on the Weymouth Fire Department, uh, training and safety officer. So that's just a, a little bit of intro. There's a lot there. Uh, and we can delve into (laughs) all of that and, uh, and, and see where that takes us. But, um, I'm very honored to be here with both of you. Well, I am like honored sitting across the table from you and I really do appreciate you coming in and speaking with us, uh, today, Jeff, so much, you've so much experience. I'm like trying to write down little notes here as you're going along saying, Whoa, what the heck? Tell me to slow down. That's, that's all I care about. That's awesome. But, um, you went to school for an accounting Right, yes. and but you're you're a fire you're a fire lieutenant in Weymouth Fire. How yes. long have you been doing that? I've uh, been a, a firefighter in the town of Weymouth for 29 years. 29 years. Yes. What did you work at before that? So what I, I did was when I graduated Bentley, 
and uh, I was working for my stepfather's company at the time. We did, actually did foreclosures. Uh, so when I graduated college, it was 1991, and uh, in the height of a recession at the time, from 89 to 90 to the early 90s, uh, the foreclosure business was booming, unfortunately. Um, and uh, we worked. I worked with his company for a number of years, and uh, because when I got out of Bentley, there really weren't that many jobs. It was tough um, to get a job yeah. uh, at that time, and uh, he was the best option I had and the, the best uh, best opportunity at the time. So, And it's funny how I ended up here in the fire service because uh, I know I broke my, my, uh, my mother's heart a little bit, but uh, I also uh, I was dating Patty at the time. I've known Patty. And we've dated for over 33 years, almost 34 years, and uh, married the, the love of my life. But um, she thought she was marrying an accountant. And uh, <laughs> so, so uh, one day, uh, so we're all in the backyard in my mother's house at 92 River Street, and my buddies were around from North Weymouth, and uh, a couple of them had uh, asked me, oh, you know, oh, I took the state police exam, and uh, Patty was there with a couple of her friends, and they're like, Jeff, how'd you do on the fire test? And I hadn't told anybody. Oh, my and, goodness. You know, just like the firehouse, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. You, you can't tell anybody your secrets because they'll, they'll, they'll all come out in the end. But uh, Patty looked at me, and she says, you did what? And uh, I used to had to have a conversation with her at that time because what it was was uh, I grew up in a, a family of firefighters. Uh, all my uncles were Boston firefighters. Uh, my grandfather's brother was a Boston firefighter. Uh, so... It was in the blood. I was always in the uh, Engine 18 over by Ashmont and, yeah. uh, in that area down in Neponset. I was always in and out of those firehouses, and I was always part of that culture in the backdrop. You know, it was always, yeah, I wanted to do something else, and but it was always there, and it was always that draw. And eventually it was just one of my buddies who became a state trooper um, said, hey, you should take the fire test. And I was like, yeah, maybe I will. And um, so he threw the application at me one night. Oh, I think, my goodness. I don't know, we're up at a bar or something, and he threw the application <laughs> at me, and he, he said, no, you gotta you got to sign up and take it. So uh, I did. Uh, scored a 99 on it, and, uh, and uh, that, that, that's that. Madden, Dave Madden, I was in uh, interviews with some of Jay's uh, coworkers as well, uh, Jimmy Finneran, Rick Chase, Jimmy Young, uh, and they were hired uh, six six to seven months before I did in 1995. Yeah, that's when I became a Weymouth firefighter. I'll never forget it. Old phone on the wall, phone rang. My mother picked it up. It was uh, Chief Madden at the time. Says Jeff there, and she asked who was calling. She said, Jeff, it's uh, Chief Madden. Chief Madden goes, hey, you want that job you come in and talked about? And <laughs> he goes, we'd love to have you. And I said, absolutely, sir. Where do you need me? When do you want me? Yeah. And I said, I wow. will start tomorrow. And uh, that started the career. Uh, my fire career. So it was always a calling. It was always that in the backdrop. And I know now, you know, looking back at it, it was the best decision I ever made other than marrying my beautiful wife um, oh. and taking care of me. But that was that was part of it. And it it propelled other things in this job and what had happened to me and, and everything else. So it actually brought back where I am today. And I think about it every single day is – you know, that opportunity that was given me, and it might have been, you know, the seat of my pants trying to make that decision where I spent four years and all this money to become an accountant, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and and here I am taking a $100 civil service exam, and it became um, fortunate enough to be picked, and it's the best job in the world. I would never change anything, yeah. one bit about it. Wow. So that's a little bit what of how I got started. What a feel-good story. Yeah, uh, that it, you have. It gets better, right? but uh, it, uh, and I, I know, had a little question. I had yeah. a little question here. Yeah. What inspired you? <laughs> you know, they just got it all. I mean, yeah, it was my uncles, and uh, like I said, I, we just with my cousins. Um, we just grew up in the firehouse, and it was it was just always in the backdrop. It was yeah. always there, and it, it just it, it was a calling. I, they truly believe. Yeah, you know, I do that too. It's a calling. There's only certain individuals. Yeah, some people look at it as a hey, a gig to get health insurance or, you know, hey, I can, you know, you know, I'm a fireman so I can, you know, take five days off or whatever it is. But, yeah. but it, it's, it's definitely more than that. There's mm -hmm. something about that drawer that brings you to this job that is almost unexplainable. I guess I, I, I really can't truly put my, 
finger on what it was, but it was that desire in something bigger than myself to help mm. to help others. I guess yeah. was was the drawer, and that, I know that's a cliche. To oh, you know, every new recruit said it. Hey, what do you want to yeah. do? Oh, I'm here to help others, but to truly help others, yeah, and to really mean it, and then put it into your career and every ounce of it to to actually so that it's it's projected from you instead mm. of you saying it. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's that's where I ended up. Well, I feel that from you. So um, if I'm feeling it. Uh, I believe it to be true. Um, yeah, I can feel that energy from you. Yes, this is a calling that you're being called on, right, Jay? Yeah, absolutely. It, it for sure is a calling. I think that was really well said, and that story illustrates it probably better than, than most, making those kinds of, of life-changing decisions. You also mentioned uh, losing your father at a young age, which is something that, that I didn't know, and I'm sorry for your loss. I'm wondering if you think that that experience influenced your decision at all um, also. I, I think later on it did to to once I understood what happened to him because okay. it was always, um, you know, Jeff's father passed away and 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 as I got older, you know, my mother would 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 definitely try to introduce some of those things. You know, we always had pictures around the house, so mm-hmm. you know, I knew that picture of my dad, yeah. Yeah. but not knowing my dad, and then everybody telling me, "Oh, you look just like him. You got the same blue eyes. You, you know, your your smile's the same. You know, you got the dimples the same. You know, you walk the same." I'm pigeon-toed, so I guess you know he was <laughs> pigeon-toed on skates. You know what I mean? As as he did, but he went into the military. He was a marine, um, and and I learned a lot about him. I did some some history. He grew up on Draper Street, right down the street uh, from my mother in Dorchester. Uh, she really didn't care for him in the beginning. He was a short guy. Um, and uh, he was into cars, and uh, he used to hang up at uh, Ronan Park and uh, in a gang, and uh, <laughs> oh yeah, just just kind of that wasn't my mother's type at the time. And and again, I think that story illustrates to what you talk like it's it's something beyond us mm-hmm. and that did that. So I think knowing what happened to him, so he worked for Perini Construction at the time when he got out of the military. He was a, a master mechanic. And uh, he, he was working on uh, heavy equipment for them. And one Saturday, he wasn't supposed to be in. And um, him and another guy got in, into the garage. And someone left either a line open in there. And they hit a, flip, a light switch um, right out uh, by Framingham area. And uh, it blew out. He was burned about over 90% of his body. And uh, he was rushed to Mass General, the burn unit. And uh, they tried to save his life. He died right before Christmas, December 21st, 1970. Um, uh, And, um, you know, it it was, and as this goes on, you'll probably hear a little bit more from me, but I almost repeated that in my career, uh, almost the same age, and did that to my mother again, what she went through, and and this time with my future wife, but we can get into that a little bit later. That Mm -hmm. that gets deeper, but... um, but to your point and to your question, Jay, yeah, I, I think the explosion and all of that mm-hmm. and trying to maybe subconsciously believe that I could stop that for someone else mm. or at least render aid, Yeah, I guess I always, you know, look back at that as, as a piece of it. Mm. Um, I've dwelled on it a long time, but in the end I'm at, you know, peace with not knowing him, but the stories that were told of him. Yeah. So. And, and – when you're sharing that story across the table um, from from us, Jeff, um, I see you smiling a lot because you're sharing a memory that you're. It's been told to you, and I can't help but smile um, when you're sharing that because I'm seeing smiles coming from you um, when you're sharing that, which makes it sort of contagious. You make make me smile listening to it, um, and I know our listeners will also hear that too. Um, so thank you for sharing that a little bit about your family, your dad. Um, you know, what sort of influenced you to to become a firefighter um, in the town of Weymouth? I want to get in and talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So what roles have you played? Um, I mean, I want to go back, like, from the beginning as a young firefighter. Um, I've heard so in so many different interviews, you know, from different first responders coming in, you know, being that young, energetic kid getting in there and I'm going to 
fix the world, right? And 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 do it all. And um, I think Freddie talked about that in his interview. Like I was young, I was fit, and I was bring it on, right? Hoorah, yes, type of thing. And um, so share with us your experience as a young firefighter, and then sort of take us through the story of the roles that you've played um, in in this career. If you want to start off there, yeah, uh, it's 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 interesting. I, I grew up in North Weymouth, and behind me uh, was the one of the most senior men in the department. At the time, uh, Paul Hargan, retired firefighter Paul Hargan, who lived behind me. His daughter actually babysat me, and, you know, it's a long history. So uh, to quote, you know, Freddie and the gang, you know, obviously, you know, the energy was was abound because they hired me, and mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, I'm going to, you know, change the world here. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm going to the top. I'm going to become cheap. <laughs> you know, I'm going to do the thing. Yeah. So there was a little bit of that, but um, I, I think my neighbor grounded me. Uh, in the beginning, especially uh, when he pulled me aside and he goes, I know what you did as a young kid. And, you, you know, you got to correct those things and, uh, and, and, you know, keep your eyes open, your ears open and your mouth shut mm-hmm. and, and learn. And that, that's the thing that kind of put me, I, I guess, back because I think what happens is that maybe I was fortunate, you know, to have a different type of job and come from a different type of uh, area. I wasn't a military. Uh, I did not join the military. I went into college and then I worked uh, in the private industry for a little while. So yeah. my perspective wasn't necessarily that uh, paramilitary and then coming in. I knew of the firehouse and, and, the, and a lot of what went on in the firehouses from family, but my energy was more focused on learning. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was that was the thing for me was was just paying attention to the details and, you know, as a, as a young firefighter, get out in the summer out of Quincy Fire Academy and got stuck down at Station 1 in North Weymouth where I knew everybody because I grew up there. It was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was eye-opening because it was tough to start going to their houses and responding to their emergencies. And that's yeah. not what, you know, it, yeah, we're all gung-ho. And, you know, I wanted to be, I was best shape of my life, you know, loved the job uh, immensely and, you know, wanted to do the best. But I, I think my focus was learning in the beginning was just just paying attention and mm. you know I wasn't as quiet as some of my counterparts that come on the job that you know you never hear a mouse out of but I think um, I think that was my motivation back then wasn't was not necessarily you know that gung-ho fireman Murray because I had a sense of what it was already yeah but it was more of uh, you know hey kid you know pay attention because you know this is going to be valuable yeah mm. you know what does what does um you know Keep your eyes open, ears open, mouth shut. What does that mean? Explain so, that. Uh, it, it's a little bit, uh, you know. You know, obviously, you want to have your voice, your opinions, and about how to do things. But when you come into a job like this that you've never done before, uh, that's they they want you to learn the basics. They want you to 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 pay attention because those small little details at two o'clock in the morning on how to use an extinguisher or mm-hmm. um, how to how to lay a hose line. It should be muscle memory. And a lot of it was, you know, the mouth shut part of it wasn't that you couldn't speak in the firehouse. Mm. But when you're being taught something on how to do something is to pay attention to those details. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes it becomes, a, you know, nowadays, I think, you know, when we say, hey, keep your ears and eyes open and your mouth shut. You know, hey, what, what do you, what, 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 you, know, you, you what, I, I can't, you know, I can't voice my opinion. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is just learning your job because that fades over time or we get complacent over time. But if you, if you formulate that plan in the beginning and focus on those details, they'll stay with you for the rest of your career. And that's what I think they were trying to tell us back then was, you know, you're new here, you know, you, you know, you haven't been doing it here in Weymouth. We do it this way in Weymouth. Right. And we're parochial that way, you know, change yeah. is bad, you know, you know, 150 years and unimpeded by change. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so that, those are the things that, that happen. So, you know, to, to further you, if you, you know, I know you asked another question that I didn't answer yet for you, but uh, as a firefighter, I had the opportunity to work at Station 1. Then I was uh, assigned to Station 2. And f- I was at the time when there was a lot of Vietnam vets on the job at the time, and we had guys on the job that had 36, 37, 38 years on the job, 40 years. Lieutenant Buckley, God rest his soul. And that, that knowledge was just fleeting, so that even meant even more to me to keep the eyes and ears open and the mouth shut so you could learn from them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had questions and you asked questions. 
So I was fortunate enough to get to headquarters, and um, someone come up to me. It was, uh, it was uh, Mike Scully, uh, firefighter Scully at the time. Uh, I'll tell you another story with Mike. Uh, we used to work at Purity Supreme together when it was up the Harbor Lake Mall. No way. Uh, his mother was my secretary in elementary school at Wasagusset. Uh, he lived down the street from my cousins. So there was a lot of connections there. And that's, you know, there's not that many, you know, six degrees of separation with people. And the fire service is probably smaller than that. And you got to be careful. That's why you also want to keep your mouth shut. Uh, because you may be speaking <laughs> about someone's cousin, brother-in-law, uh, brother in, in some instances. I mean, there's a lot of people connected. Exactly. So, uh, and, and Mike actually told me, because he was studying for lieutenant and uh, at the time, and they were trying to make a transition to open the base at the time and, and take over in, uh, in the 90, late 90s. And uh, he said, you better get in the books sometime soon. And then a couple of other officers said the same thing to me. And I was like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm good. And they're like, no. No, you need you need to get in the books, and um, I was fortunate enough uh, with I don't know so just under seven years on the job um, to become a lieutenant. Wow! And uh, it was uh, it was it was it was a surreal experience, as 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 Jay will attest to it as well. That uh, doing all that hard work and getting to that point. So I um, I've been a lieutenant since uh, I'm the. Longest ranking officer right now in the department, not the highest ranking, but the longest ranking. Been a lieutenant now since uh, 2002. Um, so uh, it's uh, Halloween, actually. I was promoted on Halloween. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds uh, like that keeping your eyes open um, and, and your ears open um, has benefited you, right? Because you were able to start to take in the knowledge that was around you and absorb that like a sponge, basically, right? Um, and learn from others um, who were before you. And I was fortunate enough to have uh, senior firefighters that, you know, we, again, when you became an officer, you know, keep your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut because the guy that's driving the truck is in charge. And, you know, it's his truck. You're yeah. just a visitor. Yeah. And, um, and I take that to heart and I take it to heart today. And I, I think that that is something that, you know, you try to instill in others um, when they work under you, work for you. Uh, as a company officer, I was fortunate enough um, to have a number of people um, work with me um, under under my command and as an engine company officer, as a ladder officer. Uh, I never saw it that way. I always tried to lead by example, uh, just based on what I learned in the job and, and to lead that way. So uh, it, you, you instill that instead of that, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know, you know, show them the way and they, and they will do it and they will follow and they'll, they'll, they'll be successful. Mm. So, uh, that's kind of where I ended up, uh, in between, uh, training officer twice. This is my second go around of the Weymouth fire department training officer in 2003 to two, approximately 2008. Um, I was the Weymouth fire training officer and had the unique pleasure of, uh, welcoming a number of people on the job, including uh, co-host here uh, on the job. And uh, got funny stories about that young, uh, that young man at the time. <laughs> and, uh, but but it, was, uh, it was a first go-around. Uh, it was up against a couple of people that were senior to me. And, um, but I had always tried to get involved in the academies that the town uh, and the department were running at the time. So I went out and got my certifications and got my instructor certifications and I tried to put myself in the best possible position because I even as a young officer and as a firefighter with only you know at that time 13 years on the job you know not even mm. less when it was 2003 eight years on the job um it was it was a unique thing and a lot of people would look at me cross-eyed and go you really want to do this you know you're a junior lieutenant that's about to enter into training the most senior guys with 40 years on the job and how do you make that in in and I took that advice again as keeping my eyes and ears open and my mouth shut in some <laughs> instances. But it was a proving ground. And I knew I had to prove myself um, because that's what we do in the fire service. You know, you, you, you know they'll, they'll, the, there's things that we do to make sure that you paid attention all those years and that you're, you're trying to improve and not just tell people what to do. And, and that, 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 takes, that takes a lot of skill. And I, I can't thank... A lot of people uh, to give me uh, that knowledge and, and, to, and to instill in me that. You know, uh, Chief Leary and 
uh, former, you know, God rest his soul, you know, Chief Deacon and and, and those guys. And, and you know, they're the ones that, that kind of guided me at the time to um, to take that role, but how to be in that role and then make it your own mm-hmm. so that, you know, you can convey. It's not. It's one thing to me get up, you know, for anybody to get up there and read something on a board or a whiteboard and board the crap out of them. But it was always, it's a unique skill to be able to take that task um, and then convey it in a way that the guys under and, and, and girls understand it and then bring it to fruition and then have them do it and then have them do it well and then expand upon it themselves to make it even better. Mm. So um, I commend school teachers for being able to do that. And, you know, for anybody that gets in these positions of, of instructors and in training, it's you got to take that same mindset. You can't be, you're not the boss. You know, that's, that's one thing. You're not the boss. You're the one that has to, has to instill that ability to learn on their own, but give them the skills to do that and be successful at it. Mm. And that's the key. Absolutely. A good leader sets others up to be successful. And, that, and that's what you do. So now here I am, fast forward. Uh, I got back into the training division again. Uh, the opportunity uh, presented itself, and I always missed it. And I took a hiatus. I was on engine three in, in the ladder. I had a, my own crew, group four, um, station three, and had a number of guys come through and become officers. And that was always something that just just made, you know, it still makes me smile today is that the guys that have just expanded upon their careers. And, you know, people ask me all the time, well, you know, you just, you know, why just stay a lieutenant? There's nothing to do with that. I really loved what I do, what I do and yeah. I really have no desire, um, you know, to really to move move in another direction. I decided to take another route uh, in the fire service. Mm. You want to chime in, Jake? Yes, ma'am. Um, so you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> that it's your second time around as, uh, as the training officer. I worked uh, for Jeff, for our listeners, I worked for Jeff as a firefighter. I learned a lot from him in that role. He, he takes training very seriously, and, and that was something that I benefited from. And then many years later, uh, we worked alongside each other as, as company officers, and I learned a lot about being a company officer from you, too. So if I never said thank you, uh, I, I will now. Thank you. Thank you. I know that, that that role of training officer comes with a lot of different duties and responsibilities. When I was hired, one of those duties was Jeff was sitting on the panel that, that interviewed me and, and ultimately uh, decided to offer me the job. So uh, that, was, that was our first experience. Uh, my first experience was Jeff, and, and we were off to a good start. So as training officer, can you tell me um, how those roles and responsibilities, where does mental health come into play like that? Do you educate the membership on mental health? Um, are you in any way part of the process that guides them towards resources uh, if somebody does reach out for help and anything that you want to explain about that process? Absolutely, Jay, and thank you for those kind words. It was a, it was an honor to work with you um, all those years, and, and you you. You made an impression, my friend, and uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, training officer is, uh, I like to call it the pit. Uh, everything flows down into that pit. Uh, you're the equipment manager. Uh, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with the training, uh, the apparatus, and everything with it. And to your point, you're dealing with the, the men and women of our department. And you get to see them in unique situations under some intense situations, and you get to, I guess, grow with them, especially, you know, when, when they come on the job and you're in that position and they're, you know, young firefighters. And, you know, you sit them down and you try to have that conversation and try to gauge where they are, uh, both physically, mentally. Uh, are they prepared to about to enter into the academy? And I think that's where it starts is, is you know, can you do this? Because some, mm. some people have been out of school for a while or, you know, mm. haven't been to – class and they're about to go through 13 weeks of studying and having to study for exams and it's a question that you know we have to ask because it's not just um, the mental health aspect of it but it's about the ability to learn and you know is there anything that you know inhibits them as you know is there anything that we need to know so so that we can assist in that way as well because the last thing we want is for them to get the job of their life and then have to sit there and worry about taking an exam because they don't do well on tests or they don't, you know, study well or mm. they never were a great student in high school. Well, 
they're kind of going back to high school a little bit or going mm-hmm. back to class. Yes, it's an adult class um, and learning different skills. And you have to balance on how to approach, you know, the, their ability to learn because you don't want to crush them mentally. And that's where it starts because you want to give them the freshest start they possibly can based on what we know now mm-hmm. of what this job brings with it. Yeah. It brings the glory. It brings the driving around a big red truck with the lights on and everybody waving and, you know, wanting to meet you and the kids, you know, looking up to you. And training has a role in identifying quickly based on their history. And it might be the first shot at the department to maybe catch a guy. Uh, and, and this is just experience that, of you know, we've just kind of evolved into this is that the mindset has changed to say, um, you know, uh, were they in the military? You know, are we dealing, you know, with things? Because we know as training officers and, and as firefighters on this job that have been around for a while, um, what they're going to see and what they're going to come across yeah, and how to deal with that. So it has not always been there. I, I know that in the, be- you know, in my early years in the training division, you know, just trying to learn the job. And then with guys coming on the job, you know, we thought about it, but we really didn't do as much as we should have uh, back in the day. Um, I think that has has changed. I know we sit everybody down, and I think being in the training position and the other position that I hold as well, um, that's easier conversation because we can be more frank. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think uh, you're not comfortable with me. I'm not comfortable with you because it's a brand new thing, you know. Yeah. So I got a guy across from me, you know, my my boss right now that's asking me these pointed questions about my mental health. Yeah. Um, so it's a workaround, I think. Now uh, it is where I get we get to try to learn where they came from. Mm-hmm. So then you can say, okay, based on what I know, what this job brings, you know, okay, this is a kind of a, a, a young man or a young woman that, you know, okay, maybe we 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 at least have the discussion about resources available to them during the academy because there may be something that they come across in a burning building that may bring them back or trigger something that, that we don't know about. So, yes. But I, I think what has happened re- more recently, especially through myself in the training division, uh, I, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, is that uh, we have taken a steps to at least give them the resources or – Tell them, hey, if you're having issues, mm-hmm. you know, let me know. Yeah. Or do you know anybody on the job? That's another thing that we've been doing now is that, hey, do you know anybody on the job? And a lot of the kids that are coming up, I call them kids. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they may know someone. And, and they say, okay, hey, that's great. And then what I'll do is, you know, hey, you, you know so-and-so. And because, you know, sometimes they don't want to talk to a guy like me. They may want to talk to the, a guy that's on the job that, that they know. Yeah. Um, and kind of explain things to it. And I think that 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 is a big focus now is just trying to, I hate to say it, but not, not, not read someone, but take their information that they're giving me, their history, you know, just in conversation, and then thinking to myself, okay, this is some, you know, this is someone that, you know, at least we can offer and say, hey, or anybody, it doesn't really matter that uh, you're in the military or not in the military because it all affects us all the same. It's here are the resources. If he needs assistance, you know, we rely on the union uh, mm. for a lot of it, and that's in the conversation a lot. Um, and we can get into that, too, if you'd like. But, you know, I have a unique position right now as the union president and the training officer. So my focus is always on the individual. Mm. Yeah, we'll talk about your bunker gear. We'll talk about what y- the academy expects. But now it's more in line of, hey, you know, if you're having issues with, you know, taking exams, you know, I start that way, taking exams, uh, practical skills, come mm-hmm. to the firehouse, call us yeah. day and night, um, and then try to gauge where they are um, across. So I think that's probably a long-winded answer to your question, but I, I think we've evolved into trying to recognize early um, the need for giving that information to these recruits and saying, hey, if you have having issues with X, Y, Z, a lot of it falls on, hey, you know, give the union a call. Or, right. And, and uh, you know, I was – I never said I'd do it again, and I did it again. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, the training officer and the union president back uh, way back when as well, and I think that 
that workload, I love it. Um, but sometimes it's a balancing act of, of making the guys prepared. And, and, you know, I'm in this position of authority, basically. And, you know, they're looking to me to, to do all of this. And then on my back end of my mind's going, yeah, you can't say it that way. You know, you got to, you know, yeah. you got, you know, but I, I guess I've been able to learn from others how to manage that. Yeah. And now it's more an open discussion when the recruits come in and say, okay, how you doing? You know, what's your history? You know, what's your background? Um, yeah. You know, anything that, y- you know, you want to tell me or anything like that, that it's not, it's not a, a inquisition, but it's more in line of, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm already thinking, okay, you know, everybody needs help now. And I try to instill in all of the new kids, take care of yourself. And cause we weren't doing that. We're still not doing it to, to, to that. But I think that's the focus of training now is in those instances, those moments that you have with the recruits, if they go into the Mass Fire Academy and, you know, traveling every day and you only see them very small pieces of time, yeah. is just to say, hey, these are the phone numbers. Call us. Yeah. Call. Mm. It may not be me. It can be someone else, but call us. Mm. Because I don't care what the problem is. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of problems, but, you know. Yeah. Sorry, I th- Jay. I don't know if it I think I think that we um, – we, we talked about that and I mean in in numerous conversations that we've had um I I just when you're when you're talking about the training um I'm sad to take him back to another conversation or another interview that we had and um and I remember him saying you know one of the the things he he says to new recruits it was was Freddie from from Braintree Fire and um he said you know have you ever seen any a, a dead body before other than being at a wake, like in in a, you know, in a funeral home, and they were like, "Oh, why did you say that?" And he was like, "Well, that's really what you're going to see," and um, you know, you have to start to be clear about this is what you're going to see. It's not like just in driving around in the red truck here, um, because there's a job to be done, and um, so yeah, like, do you do you is there opportunities for you to be able to have those? conversations also uh they usually have them either at the beginning of when they come in now or um at when they get out of the academy if we're not the ones training them yeah um sit them down and i tell them you're gonna you know grow up in weymouth oh yeah i grew up in weymouth they grew up on east street or wherever street you grew up on i said okay i said um you're gonna be in your friends homes you're gonna be in your family's homes Mm -hmm. maybe family that you don't like friends that you don't like anymore, had an issue with in high school, um, your neighbors, yeah, uh, your mother's neighbors, yeah, and you're going to deal with kids that were you graduated with. Yeah. And you're going to see things that are, you know, are horrible. Yeah. And I always tell them that. I said, that's why you always act with respect um, and no matter what, and you do the job, whatever happens in that, that moment of time, you're a professional. Um, but you're going to see these things, and you're going to have to interact with these people. How you deal with that is the key. Yes. And that's what I try to convey to them now, knowing what we know, uh, is that, you know, it can't be bottled up. And, and we can, and to Jay's point again, you know, you know, we bring people in and we do classes and we talk about, you know, PTSD and we talk about critical incident stress. And, you know, these are the resources you have. And we put it up on a whiteboard and we give them all these numbers. I know my audience. My audience is looking at that going, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not right. calling that number. Yeah. You know, but what I always convey to them in the end is, uh, okay, don't call that number. I said, but you got my number. Mm. You got Jay's number. Mm-hmm. You got Jimmy Young's number. You got, uh, you know, Bernie McCauley. You got, you know, all of these guys, Timmy Bailey, uh, Anthony. Di- you got all of these guys that um, have unique experiences mm-hmm. and have unique skill sets because that's the message that we have to get to them in the end is how you deal with that. And, you know, 29 years for myself, Jay, you know, 18-plus years, you know, there's, I call it luggage, and I tell these kids that. I said, you're going to see a lot of things. So you're going to carry it on your back. It's mm. going to be just like luggage. You can't get rid of it. You'll mm. never be able to get rid of it. But you got to be able to manage it. you got to be able to talk about it. you got to be able to do that. So that's kind of my focus. And I, it's not just the guys that are coming on the job now. It's, it's everybody gets that one. Well, because yes. cause it's, you know, we're, we're not immune to it. 
Yeah. None of us are immune to it. So that's, that's what I try to tell the, the new recruits. And to Freddie's point, you know, um, I, I just bring it back to they're going to be in people's homes that they've known all their lives, and mm. it's going to be their worst day. And they're going to be asking you to fix it, mm-hmm. no matter what you think of that person. Yeah. And you got to do it. I love that you're sharing that with us, Jeff, because, um, you know, and and saying it so clearly um, for our listeners also to paint that picture that, you know, what you see every day is not normal, right? And it's not normal and it's okay for you to not sit with you well, right, from having that bad call. And it might not be just, you know, one big, one big major call that might have an effect on you, but multiples of other small ones. But regardless... You pick up something from every call, right? And, um, yeah, I, it's important that we share this side of being, well, I, you know, the big red truck, where I, the superheroes, like, driving around in the big red trucks that, you know, you also take off the uniform at the end of the day and you go home and you're someone's husband, or father, um, son, you know, daughter also, and, and dad, um, at the same time, and and they're just normal people. Like, and I want to emphasize that they have feelings also um, to our listeners, and we need to be support that. We support that as a community and understand that a little bit more, so that we can help you also be able to make it normal to talk about those things that you're struggling with. It sounds like you're describing a lot of progress, and that's something that, that I know to be true, especially in the indoctrination phase, bringing in new recruits, as opposed to where it was 10, certainly 20, 30 years ago, um, where these things weren't really recognized, right, where they're at least getting the explanation as, as they come in the door, um, you know, what trauma is and, and that it might be something that they have a difficult time with um, throughout their career and that that's okay. Um, you also mentioned that oftentimes when somebody does actually reach out for help, that becomes something that is, is guided, they're directed towards the union, appropriately so. And, um, you know, sometimes it'll come out for, between friends, right? Like it's, it's not always an official thing. Maybe somebody notices that a coworker is struggling after a difficult call or one man or woman confides in another. Has there been progress in that front, too? If you don't mind speaking from a union perspective, when someone reaches out for help now, um, is that better than it was before? And what does that process look like in terms of getting them in touch with the resources that can help them recover? Yeah, I, I, I think there's been, been some progress um, to the point where um, you, you, you get calls every day, mm-hmm. um, as you know, in in in. And those are the things that, 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 you have, that you have to come up with a solution for them because that's what they're, they're coming to you, you know, sometimes not necessarily for a solution, but they're just coming for some guidance. And, you know, depending on what the, the issue is, um, it's, uh, it's slow. The progress is slow. I guess the union, we've always been at it. And, um, you know, we have a lot of resources and we rely on, uh, the PFFM and Mike Jefferson, and, you know, I got them on my speed dial. So the minute someone says, hey, I got a problem with X, Y, Z, I said, okay, you know, let's, let's talk about it and or put it on. I think the progress has been made on the individual basis. Okay. I, department-wide, um, I'm not going to speak for that yet, but uh, there's a lot of things that can be done better still because we're not there yet. That's extremely slow um, for where we should be. But union-wise, we have taken as many steps as we possibly can to tap into the resources yeah. that, that we have, and um, you being one of them um, in, in your expertise and in, in helping others and reaching others. And, you know, I talk about a couple of other members that are either former e-board members and, uh, or existing e-board members, and, and we have some new e-board members and it's great, and it's it's it's, and they have a unique perspective, but they also have the ability to reach others mm-hmm. because, just like I said about the training officer, not everybody wants to call the union president every day yeah. and saying, "Hey, I got a problem with this. I got a problem yeah. with that." And what I think is 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 really improved in, in my mind, and is the ability for others to kind of understand and help that person. So we all, the phone call always goes to the top no matter what, and, and it usually is the case. 
but it's more, hey, you, you, just give me an update. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that, you know, giving, instilling that in the guys that, that have the ability to help others is, is paramount. And, you know, keep me, keep me updated if they need anything else. But, you know, expanding upon always giving someone a phone number. You know, it's, it's, that's not always the answer is say, hey, I got a problem with X, Y, Z. And I think, you know, we were so quick to, you know, I call Mike and they get a, you know, a list of, you know, clinicians or whatever mm-hmm. it is and hand that list to the person. Yeah. Well, when you do that, you got to remember, you know, what I've realized and what I've tried to improve upon is I'm handing a list of, you know, six people in front of them. They have no idea. They're dealing with an issue. Their mind is, you know, somewhere else. Yeah. And I just hand them a list and say, hey, you know, call these people. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, the change has happened a little bit, where we're more inclined now to go, okay, what's going on? All right, let me, let me, let me rethink this here. Let me, let me get you to the right person instead of necessarily giving them a list because we know what they do with lists. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute, you know, absolutely. And we all do because they're going to say, you know what, I don't have time for this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And which is not the correct answer, it's not the, it, but it's, it's also the right answer because, yeah. you, you know, you, you're throwing something at someone trying to solve their problem. And it could be in, you know, we try to kind of get a little bit more information. I think that's where the progress has been made. Okay. So we get them to the right spot. That's on the union side. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think that's part of it. Um, it's not always perfect. It's not always, you know, cute and, 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 and perfect that way. But it may take a couple of times to, to, yeah. to get to the right person, to help that person, or to get to the root of what the real problem is. Yeah. Because we all know it's, you know, the pressures of finances and in 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 family relationships and marriages and children and taking care and all of that, um, you know, trying to find out what the heck is going on, yeah. So we can get them to the right person, not just hand them a list and say, "Hey," when in the end the the culprit may have been, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, a mispayment. You know what I mean? They yeah. just they were ultra sensitive and, you know, they. They just needed something else. They didn't need that. Yeah. Um, they didn't need to go just talk to someone to talk to someone mm-hmm. that has no idea what they're doing. Um, but we, we try to reach out as quickly as we possibly can. And I think that timing, um, especially when we know about it. So yeah. I know we're all over them lately. Um, I know they, they cringe sometimes when they get the phone call because they had a bad car accident or whatever. And sometimes we find out about it late. We just had a, an incident in North Weymouth recently. Um, we're, I was on them like flies on you know what you know yeah. what I mean because I know the guys that were involved and and, and yeah. I think that pay that pays dividends is yeah. to know like I said with the recruits the backstory a little bit mm-hmm. and as you get to know the guys and they may you know they didn't want to talk to me but you know I at least I touch bases with them all individually and they all kind of and then Little by little, I get a little bit more and then a little bit more. Yeah. So it's not – I hate to swarm, I guess call it swarming, um, you know, yeah. guys that are in, in, in need or, or guys that may just had a bad night. Um, but just to give them to say, hey, you know, I know, I know, you know, what you went through. Um, yeah. I heard about it. Mm-hmm. You need anything. We're yeah. here. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not jamming, you know, I mean, we can – do the critical incident stress. A lot of guys, as you know, Jay can attest to it too, but, you know, very rare that, you know, well, yeah, we'll go, but we're, I can't do it for the, you know, the, the listeners, but, you know, just sitting there with my hands on my, my, yeah. my, my lap and not saying a word and listen to someone going, hey, you know, you can, you know, if you have any problems, you know, I know you had a difficult night last night. It's, it's not what they want to hear. Um, right. And that's where we have to try to, Find out what they want to hear, you know, what, what the piece is for that specific individual. And that's where I re- rely on, you know, their coworkers. And, and, you know, and you will get those, hey, you better go check on so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, they may not have said, yeah, I was fine, yeah. <laughs> you know me, Jeff, you know, yeah. You know, 20 years doing this, I'm fine, yeah. you know. Just another bad night, Jeff. And then you come to find out that maybe it was more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think... Um, the progress has been slow, but I think on the union side, we've tried to really, you know, be on the guys to the point that I'm not, we're not bothersome with it. We're not just, you know, bugging them because they had a bad call. Because mm-hmm. people deal with it 
in in number of different ways. Yeah. It's just when it becomes counterproductive. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the word stigma mean to you? It's a, a negative connotation. It's it's something that um you know shouldn't be you know you should be able to handle or you know you you know you're a crybaby or you know the the stigma is you know looking down on something that 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 is just um, human, being human, and, yeah. and I think that's that's where I see that word as as that negative connotation is that you know what what people in that use it usually when they use that word and that you know and, and or they they have, have a negative connotation is it is that they truly don't want to understand what someone's going through in 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 the effects that a first responder has on one's psyche. And that, that stigma word is a negative word that is, is derogatory. It's, it's, it's a term that, you know, remove the stigma. Um, I don't think it will ever be removed completely um, because I think there's people that are short-sighted, narrow-minded, and um, want to put their blinders up to something. Mm-hmm. So, so when, when, what I would love to see ideally happening um, is that it's going to take one person sitting around that table to open up and say, this is, you know, I don't care if you're going to be talking about me behind my back, um, that I'm getting help for this. And, um, and what support, what resources have I got? Why are you, how are you going to help me? Um, because... It just might plant a seed in an, in another person's head, sitting there, holding it all in, pretending that they're okay, and then really not. And it's shown out, it comes out in other behaviors, like maybe they're having to drink themselves asleep at night because they just can't get out of their head that last call that they saw. Um or um, their finances, like you brought up, right? Their personal stuff that's going on at home. Maybe there's family issues going on, all of that type of stuff. But if someone is, someone is brave enough, and I'm, I'm saying it out there loud and clear, that just someone be brave and be a leader and, and say, I'm not okay, and I'm getting help for this. And you know what? My family are benefiting from it. I'm benefiting from it. And the department as a whole is benefiting from it because, you know what? I'm well because of what I'm, I'm getting. And if they just sort of spoke about that a little bit more openly um, in the departments, um, it just might plant seeds all around that table saying, hmm, if he's doing it and he's someone I look up to, well, then guess what? Well, then it's okay for me to do it. But if it continues to be, no, I'm okay, or whatever it might be, whatever happens, um, if it continues to do that, it's never, change is never going to happen. It has, it has to be talked about openly, talking about our mental health, our feelings, our, the emotions that I'm feeling because of that last call I was on. Or I have a heavy backpack here and I need to unload it to someone and finding that safe person um, who they can trust to be able to go there. So I urge that um, this type of conversation to be happening in departments. 